You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Mercy's Door, so in this bumper sermon series, I held out to the Lord, what would you have me do? And so I've got an image in my head this morning uh, that I'm tilling soil for the church. I believe that over the next four weeks, starting next week, that the Lord wants to do something amazing in Mercy's Door in a four-part sermon series on mission. And I believe that my task this morning is to till soil to prepare it to receive these good seeds that the Lord wants to deposit in the coming weeks. Okay, I think there's some housekeeping that the Lord wants to do in the church to get us ready to receive something wonderful. So lean in because he's been working on me, and so I trust that he intends to invite my friends into it with me. Our passage opens this morning like this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I read that sentence aloud to the church, and it's easy for us to nod along and to say this is a fairly simple doctrine, and we all agree with it. Yeah, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, but I'm telling you, we don't get it. When I say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, when our author in Hebrew says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, we mean Jesus Christ from eternity past is the same as Jesus Christ who reigns today, as Jesus Christ who reigns forever. Jesus Christ from eternity past, like the gospel writer John in his introduction to the gospel account of John, says that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and through Him everything that was made was made, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and that in Him is life, and that life is the light of men, that this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This Jesus, by the power of His Word, all things created, is the same as the Jesus that you see in the form of a baby, to grow and live the perfect life and die a perfect death on your behalf, the Jesus you see stretched and sprawled upon a cross, bearing the reproach of man and paying for the sins of the world, is the same Jesus who reigns today, the Jesus who went into the tomb and rose victorious over sin and death three days later, and before a great cloud of witnesses ascended into heaven and reigns today at the right hand of the Father, making an eternal appeal for his church. My blood atoned for them. That Jesus reigns today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus from the Garden of Eden and the Jesus at the right hand of the Father are one and the same. What does this mean? What it means is that we don't get to define the personhood of Jesus. Jesus is who he is. Who is he? He is the I am that I am. He is the unchangeable, unshakable, immutable God, is Jesus Christ. He does not change. He does not bow before the culture. He does not conform to the image that you have of him. He does not comply with who you would like him to be. He does not change with the times. There is not an Old Testament Jesus and a New Testament Jesus. There is not a pre-resurrection Jesus and a post-resurrection Jesus. There's not an urban guerrilla Jesus and a polished rural Jesus. 
There's not a white Jesus and a black Jesus. There's not an English-speaking Jesus, and, a, and there's not a Spanish-speaking Jesus. And there's one Jesus. And he says who he is, and he is who he is. We don't define him. There's not a Jesus of the past. There's not a modern Jesus. Jesus of yesteryear and the Jesus that's relevant for today. There's not a Republican Jesus and a socialist Jesus. There's one Jesus, the unchangeable Jesus. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And contextually, this is important in our passage this morning, beyond the context that I'm going to preach to here, because people believing this looked at the progressive revelation of God's redemptive plan for the earth, okay? Make that, maybe say that simpler. God revealed his plan to save the earth in a progressive way. He didn't show, share it all with us at once. God did not show us all of his attributes and characteristics all at once. God has progressively revealed himself to mankind, culminating in Jesus Christ on a cross and then rising victorious over sin and death, ultimately culminating in Christ's return. We're going to talk about that this morning. But just because God has revealed himself in a progressive manner to mankind doesn't make the thing that he has revealed to us suddenly true now that we know it. Things don't become true once you understand it. They were true well before you understood it. True things are always true. The truth is not subjective. Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life, is not subjective. So if my kids learn something new about me today, it didn't become true the day they learned it, right? It was always true. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this is important to say before verse 9, where our writer in Hebrew says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Because the diverse and strange teaching that he's going to call out are teachings from the law of God that are now being misunderstood and misapplied because he has revealed more about himself since that day. Let's get into the specifics on that. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which, we have, not, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So he's contrasting two things, grace and foods. And for our purposes, we want to receive foods as works of the law or observations of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. In specific, the book of Hebrews has a lot of references back to the book of Leviticus, which we're going to be moving through after our sermon series on mission, which I'm also excited about. But in Leviticus, laws of atonement were given, and we're going to talk about it, but not yet. What our author is trying to say is that God has revealed himself in a progressive manner. And so what we are not to do is to take our favorite attribute of God or the thing about God that we think we understand the most and then use it as the measuring stick for all of his other attributes to force him to stay within the box that we understand. When he shows us something about himself, he's saying, and this was always true because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we learn something new, it's not new about him, it's new revelation to us. 
And so we interact with it differently. We don't say, hey, since, God, I didn't understand this about you before, you must mean something else, or I need to box you in by something you said before. He's progressively revealing himself to us. He's saying, you misunderstood what I said before. This actually changes the whole thing. Let's see what I mean here. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So we are preaching at this point from Leviticus. Our author is talking to us from Leviticus. He's saying there were there were, there were laws given to you, blood sacrifice laws given to you in the tabernacle, in the tent, when he says those who, uh, those who serve the tent, he's talking about the tabernacle, that there's this inner sanctum, this place, this holy place where sacrifices were to be made by the priesthood. And in Leviticus, it says that you're to take this, this bull, this sacrifice of atonement, and you're to slaughter it outside the camp and to make a blood sacrifice at the altar in the inner place that the priest is to do this, to make atonement for the sins of the people. But the body of that bull, according to Leviticus 17, is to be burned, taken outside the camp and to be burned. The blood is to be offered as a sacrifice and the body is to be burned. He's saying, you who would put your faith in foods... You who would put your hope in foods, in the observations of the law, in the purity laws, in the atonement laws, in the, in the sacrificial system, you who would still do that. Goodness, what are you doing? If there's one food in the world that you should want to eat if you're going to observe the food laws, it should be the bull that is sacrificed for the atonement of sin. But God himself, in the very law that you are referring to, has said, burn it. You may not eat of it. And so he's, he's, he's helping us to get clarity on what the Lord was showing of himself in the old law and what he is showing of, of himself now. Now, a lot of us are going to hear that and are going to say, you know what, I, I don't subscribe to the food laws, so I don't see how you're preaching to me right now. And I want you to hear me say that you are all, along with me, under the influence of many strange and diverse teachings. Strange in diverse teaching. Strange not meaning weird. Strange meaning forward, foreign to what Jesus taught. Strange meaning not what he said. Strange meaning not what he showed us. We are all under the constant and persistent influence of strange and diverse teachings that want to lead us away. And the first of which is this, our own version of the food laws of the observation of, of when I eat this and where I eat this and how I eat this and all that. It's basically that by my obedience to the law, I clean myself up and I make myself right with God. That I become like a person who serves the tent. That the veil that was torn the day that Jesus gave up his blood as a right sacrifice for us for eternity, we want to stitch it back together. We want to wipe the stamp off our heads that marks us excellent by Christ's life of righteousness, and we want to replace it with our own marks of righteousness, with our own observations of the law. 
Maybe not hearkening back to Leviticus to do it, but working on our own standard. Creating some other version of righteousness saying that, well, good people do this and they don't do that. The modern version of it and saying that in my observation of these things, I make myself right with God. I give myself a future. My comfort and my security, my future, my right standing with God is on the basis of what I become or what I'm trying to become. And our author says it's rubbish. He says it's rubbish. I think that it's useful to us this morning if I call out maybe some specific, prevalent, strange and diverse teachings. They don't feel strange and diverse to us because they've found a home with us. You ever notice that like everyone feels like they get to decide what the strange and diverse teachings are and it's never the ones that they believe? Let me say a few of them, right? Like, God, guns, and country. Strange and diverse teaching. God, guns, and country. In one breath, in one sentence, in one statement, you're going to declare your allegiance to God and your firearm and your flag. As if your future and your comfort and your security and your hope is wrapped up in your holy God who conquered sin and death at the cross in his son Jesus Christ and your firearm and what flag you happen to be born under? It sounds ridiculous when you say it, right? It's a strange and diverse teaching. And I am not colorblind here. Like, I know that I'm preaching to, like, a 40% military context here. Like, thank you. Thank you for your service. You can simultaneously sign up to give your life away in service to your neighbor against those who would do them harm and not place your hope and your future and your security and your identity in your firearm or your flag. These things can be held in tension, that you can both be grateful to be at home in the culture in which you were born and not hold on to it as your security or as your identity or as your future, because it's not. We're going to get there. And I mean, there's not going to be a lot of way around it. Maybe one that's a little more tame. Don't hit me. Is I just need a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Strange and diverse teaching. And it's funny until it's not. It's a joke until it's not. It starts with, I need a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus, but it looks like I need a whole lot of coffee and a little bit of Jesus. But this idea that I need Jesus plus my creature comforts, I need Jesus and a place to lay my head down, I need Jesus in an oasis, a place where I can just be, a place to sit where people leave me alone. I replace coffee with something that's not so socially acceptable, and it's a really weird statement. It's funny till it's not. It reflects the inner heart of a man who takes the gospel and makes it something just a little bit different, a Jesus plus. And there's a hypocrisy that I'm seeing in the church, in my own heart, 
that weds Christianity to some secondary ideology, some secondary allegiance, and makes them inseparable. Whether it's conservatism or socialism or whatever. That says that Christians do this. Christians believe this. And whatever it is, they pull it from somewhere other than the Holy Word of God and somewhere other than the lips of Jesus. That if you're a Christian, you behave like this. I need you to hear this. Okay? The world sees the hypocrisy. It's like this is, this is, the, this is the, the, the soil tilling that I want to do this morning, okay? Because we're going to be calling you over the next four weeks to live on mission, to respond to the call to live on mission in this world. But you have no business being on mission if you're carrying any message other than the gospel. Okay? So hear me on this. When you say to the world, Something like, I'm, gonna, I'm picking a sign, then I'll do the other one so that you can all be angry. <laughs> it's this. It's me too, guys. It's me, like, hear me, it's me too. But when you say, I don't need a mask because God will protect me. When you say that, and then you all, but then you carry a gun. Or you stash cash in a jar. Or you get your passport so that you have a plan to get out of here if the government tries to make you do something else that you don't want to do. When you say, I don't need a mask because God will protect me, but you carry a gun. What you're not saying God's going to protect you. That's not what you're saying. You're saying you're, you're, that's not what you're saying, and the world can see that. But you're not off the hook on the other side of that one conversation because these conversations are happening in every arena of life. When you say, I know God will protect me, but my hope is really in my government mandating everybody else to do what I want them to do to make me feel safe, you're saying, my hope is in God and my government. Some of you, your hope is in God and anti-government, and some of you is in God and government, but it's not in just the Lord. Your allegiance and your hope and your future is in something else, and it's a strange and it's a false teaching. It's a strange and it's a diverse teaching. It's a Jesus plus teaching. And God forbid that we go on mission spreading that, that message that you need Jesus and anything. Because that's a hopeless message. Because the and always fails. It always fails, guys. Again and again. The things that we look to in this life to give us a future, to give us security, to give us belonging. We build our camps around it and they fail us. Where Christ never does. He says it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. This is the response to don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings is because it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods, by grace. Guys, we are made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ grace of God alone, to grant you faith alone in God, in Christ, who lived a perfect life for you, died the death you deserve to die, and then rose victorious over sin and death on your behalf to purchase you before you've done a thing, before you've done anything, before you've done anything. And there's a sub point I need to make here. The gospel will find its home, and Christians can find their home in any culture. In any culture. 
The gospel finds its home, and the Christian can find his or her home in any culture. Because the genius of the gospel is that you don't need to become a Jew to be made right with God. You don't need to become a Jew to be made right with God. This is ultimately what got Jesus crucified. He went and associated with people outside the camp, the sinner and the tax collector, and he declared that by his blood alone, that by, by eating his body and drinking his blood, that you could be made right with God without circumcision. And this was so controversial that well after he ascended, a group of, among the Jews rose up called the Judaizers, marching around the churches that were planted saying, fine, you're saved by faith in Jesus, but you got to get circumcised. You got to bear the mark of a Jew. And this was so controversial that in Galatians chapter 2, can't do it off my head. You'll remember this, though. Paul and Peter argued about this, and it's documented. Okay. Let me read it to you. Galatians 2, it's verse 11. Paul is writing. He says, When Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain, me before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when, they came, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We are, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Your works of the law, your obedience to the law, the efforts that you make to become something, these are not the prerequisites to being made right with God. You cannot secure a future for yourself by obedience. You cannot secure a future by yourself by good works. You cannot secure a future by yourself by any of it. It's by grace alone that the heart is strengthened through faith alone in Christ alone. And so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. This is verse 12. So the writer likens Jesus to the bull that was sacrificed for the atonement of the sins of the people of God. So it's just like in Leviticus, the bull had to be taken outside the camp and be burned in order for his blood to be made a right 
sacrifice for atonement of sins, Jesus himself suffered outside the gate, not inside the city walls, outside the camp, outside the camp. And guys, this is a main point for our message this morning. It says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Guys, so many of us are looking for Jesus in places where he cannot be found. We're looking for Jesus inside our camp. In fact, we're building whole camps around an idea of Jesus that's false. And then we're telling ourselves we found him when really what we found is some version of Jesus that we made up that always conveniently looks a lot like us and believes what we already believe. It pains me to say it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. The Lord's been doing work on me. But this is for you. You're building camps around a Jesus you invented and then worshiping him in ways that you invented. And the writer says, he's outside the camp. Let us go, let us go to him who is outside the camp. You're looking for him in the inner sanctum. You've stitched up the veil and you've gone inside and you've resumed the old works of the law and you fail to see that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has built upon what he's revealed to you and he's shown you, I'm out there. The veil has been torn. Lord, burst through. And he's outside the camp. And as long as you're looking for him inside your camp, you will not find him. And I'm not going to name your camps. First of all, it would be exhausting and take too long. Second of all, the Holy Spirit, I trust, will do it for me. He's done it in me. He'll do it for you. But you've got to ask him, Lord, what are my camps? What are my camps that you are saying, hey, I'm, I am standing firmly outside those walls. Go to me out there. It says, so let us go to him, therefore, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So just as I've said that the gospel or Christians can find themselves at home in any culture, you will also find yourself at odds with every culture. Because while there are no prerequisites for you to do anything in order to become a Christian, once Christ takes up residence in you, he conforms you into his image, which suddenly makes you incompatible to any culture. And I'm telling you, we don't believe this either. We very much believe that some cultures stand more primed than others to be a Christian culture. We very much believe this. If we didn't believe it, then we wouldn't call people to obey a God that they don't know as some primer for them believing the gospel. No culture stands primed to receive the gospel. And yet, the gospel intends to land and make its home in every culture, and it does. But not because the culture stands ready. The culture that should have been most ready to receive the gospel, the very people of God, the nation of Israel, crucified the Son. Texas is not more ready than Jerusalem to receive the gospel. Neither is Mascuda. And yet the gospel makes its home, the Christian makes its home in every culture, only to find that you've got to go outside the camp to be with Jesus. 
And if you're where Jesus is, you're going to enter into and suffer the reproach that he endured. Suddenly the culture that is native to you, suddenly the culture where the gospel was indigenous, suddenly the culture where you came to faith natively that required nothing of you to change, to receive the gospel, suddenly you find yourself suffering and bearing the reproach that Christ suffered. Because as his blood sanctifies you, reading this to you, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to not save, sanctify the people through his own blood. You see, the blood of the bull that was sacrificed in ancient times, that blood was to make atonement, to make payment for sin for the people of God. But they didn't look up on the day after the sacrifice was made and find themselves any different than they were the day before. But this new covenant, the covenant that is revealed to us in Christ, Christ both gives the covenant He offers himself as the sacrifice to seal the covenant, sheds his own blood to seal the covenant, and that blood is sufficient to sanctify, not just save. If you are covered in the blood of Christ, you are sanctified. That word means made into Christ's likeness, conformed to his image. And you look at me and you're like, I don't feel a lot different than the day before I was saved, some of you. And I would say to you, in the eyes of the Lord, it's a brand new story. Your Father in heaven looks at you if you are covered in the blood, the atoning blood, the atoning sacrificial blood of Jesus, and he declares you spotless, sanctified, made in Christ's image. Not once you take these steps of obedience, but right now, covered in the blood of Christ. And if you're not, then he doesn't. You either bear the mark that says, excellent. And when God looks at you, the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees you sanctified, perfectly spotless, perfectly pure, perfectly obedient. Or he doesn't. Because the blood of Christ sanctifies us. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. And church, if you are suffering reproach, rejection from your native culture as you conform to the image of Christ, be encouraged. You're in good company. You're walking with your Lord. It says go to him and suffer the reproach that he endured. You're with him. And others of you, this seems like a foreign thing. You are not suffering reproach. And it's because you're still in the camp. We go to him outside the camp and we suffer the reproach that he endured. Inside the camp, you're not going to suffer reproach. If everyone around you looks like you, if everyone around you believes what you believe, if you've essentially said this is what it means to be a Christian, then gathered everybody around you who believes that and who is acting the way that you act and all of that, then you're not going to suffer reproach except from the Lord. We need to forsake our lesser righteousness, and cling to Jesus. It is through him, verse 15, or or verse uh, uh, 14. It says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That means Christians, in any context, look around them, and we conclude this is coming down. It's coming down. Greater empires than this one have fallen. Nothing stands before the march of sand. This thing comes down. It all comes down. For the Christian, we have no lasting city. We are nomads and rovers who both find our home everywhere and nowhere. And so, through him, Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I'm going to let these last two verses hang, and, and I'm going to underpreach them on purpose this morning, because this is our segue into the mission sermon series, okay? But when you are called to go outside the camp to where Jesus can be found and bear the reproach that he endured, when you're called into that, you will find him there in the form of others that are suffering reproach, the others who are outside the camp. In Matthew 25, when Jesus is giving the parable about the end times, and he's talking about the separation of the goats from the sheep, and he welcomes in his beautiful church, and he says, come and enter the kingdom that has been prepared for you from before the foundation of the earth. Because you saw me hungry, and you fed me, and you saw me thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, and you saw me sick and in prison, and you visited me. You saw me naked, and you clothed me. And the church says, when did we do that? And he said, surely when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. This is what we're reading about here. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When you go outside the camp, you'll find him there in the form of the least of these. And so if we can't answer honestly that question of where are the least of these, who are the least of these, that the Lord would have me minister to? Where is Jesus that I might give him something to drink? We can receive that as a rebuke from the Lord that we're probably still hanging out in our camp because they're outside the walls. They're outside the walls where Jesus is. Let me lighten my tone, guys, because... This is heavy at first. But it's not so heavy when you see freedom outside the walls. The only reason you're still inside the gate is because you're not getting your eyes on just how good and reliable and sure he is. The only reason why you're building up these walls and surrounding yourself with people who will tell you everything is okay is because you don't believe it is. You haven't seen them. You're not looking. You're not listening. He's good, unlike the bull who God said, burn it totally, crush it, you may not eat of it. Jesus goes outside the gate and spills his blood for you and I, and of his body, he says, 
I alone have the right to give it up, and I have the right to take it up again. And the bull that stays burnt, Jesus takes up his life again. And of his body, he says, take and eat. Take and eat. As often as you will, take my body and my blood upon yourself. It's where your future is found. It's where your security is found. It's where your rescue is found. It's where your identity is found. But goodness, the gospel is free. You can't do anything to earn it, guys. You can't. I hope that's clear in this passage. The gospel is free, but you've got to lay some stuff down to take hold of it. You don't bring anything to the table in exchange for it, but you drop everything in order to take hold of it because it's big and it wants all of you. It wants the whole thing, your whole life. So I want you to pray with me this morning, guys. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and seal this for us. There's a sermon series coming for us. So I don't want you looking for the immediate action. If you can just resist that with me. If it is true that we are stuck in our camps, that we have told ourselves for so long that this is where my, my security is found, this is where my hope is found, I don't expect that here in this moment for most of us, we're going to be able to have a full grasp of all that the Spirit is doing. I mean, he's been working on me for a week. I'm not, I'm not asking you guys to join me in 30 minutes. But listen, what we are asking him is till the soil this week. Do it with me, Lord. Lord.